we're starting a new series today called Winsome. And man, I've been excited about this for so long because I think this is so necessary and I think it's what the church needs and I think it's one of the things that makes us different in the world. And so next week, uh, we're going to have some opportunities to live out the things you've been learning. And over this whole summer, we're going to start a summer of serve. And we are going to have so many opportunities to live in a way that actually changes the world. And then next week, I'll start talking about the what and the how. But today, I want to talk about the why. Because if you don't understand the why, the what and the how won't make that much difference to you. I know for me, like, if I don't understand why you're telling me to do something, I might do it, but I will do it with no passion and no purpose. And the last thing the world needs is more people who claim to know Jesus who have no passion and no purpose. And so today I want you guys to get the why. I want you to understand what the why is. And so winsome, even the word is cool. This word means, and I Googled it, you can Google it, it means attractive and appealing in character, to be engaging to be someone who draws others in by the way they live. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like something you'd want to be? So when I, when I talk about that attractive and engaging in character, uh, like someone who's, who, who people want to be around, what are some words that come to your mind? And if you can say a word that's on my list, you'll win a prize. Let's go ahead and just shout something out. What's one word that comes to mind when you think about a winsome person? Joyful. Well, who said that? All right, somebody other than Danny. All right, never mind, you're on. <laughs> Give me another word. Passion. Where was pa passion? Was that you, Chris? You win the prize. It's a go-gurt. <laughs> will, will you make sure that Christy gets this? Thank you. It's been in my pocket for a while, so it's warm. That's, I don't know if you like them heated or what, but that one's warm. So it's a, it's a nice, warm go-gurt. Enjoy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, passionate. What, what's another one? Joyful. Generous. Oh, that's a great one. Generous. What's another one? Courageous. These are so here. I was writing this and I started thinking about this list. Empathy. Don't, don't people who are empathetic, isn't that winsome? People who are kind, isn't that winsome? People who are good listeners. Man, good listeners are so winsome. Like if you're listening to me and I'm talking and you start correcting my English, I'm done with you. Like, I, I ain't got time for that. Listening without judgment. Oh, that's it. That's, that's winsome, isn't it? What about people who are, oh, here's a good one. People who are open to the possibility that they might be wrong about something. Isn't that winsome? What about humility? I thought about that and I was like, God, I'm the most winsome person I know. And then I was like, hold on. <laughs> what about more concerned with making a difference than making a point? That's winsome, isn't it? What about someone who defends people who are marginalized, people who are left out and left behind, someone who stands in the gap for people? Those are winsome qualities. You know what word you won't use? Outspoken. Always right. Never shuts up. Loudmouth. Dogmatic about everything. These are not words we will use when we talk about winsome. And so as I was writing this and I was thinking about what is winsome and what's not winsome, the first thing I experienced was emotion called conviction, personal conviction, because there are things in me that are not yet winsome. I mean, there are things in me that need to be transformed and things that need to be changed. I lack patience sometimes. I'm not the best listener. Like someone will be talking and I'll just start walking like this. It's a horrible thing to do. <laughs> Y'all, I've seen him do it. I don't mean to. Like, it's just, 
I don't know. Like there's just things in me that need to be more winsome if I am to win people for the kingdom. And so my first emotion was personal conviction. My second emotion was public conviction because I'm convicted for the body too. But as a church, as the church, as the bride, as, 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 the, as the bride of Christ in the world, I think we're not always as winsome as we can be. And what you do affects me. When you post, we all post. When you speak, we all speak. When you drive, we all drive. What affects one part of the body affects the whole of the body. And so if you're not being winsome in the world, then we're not being winsome in the world because we are one together. And so I was convicted not just of things that need to change in me, but things that need to change in the church, in this church. Man, we, uh, to be engaging in the world, to be engaging in the world, to be active, to be in the world in such a way where you're actually changing it. You know, we, we had 330 people go through the Experiencing God uh, series together. That's amazing. 330 people who, who grew in knowledge. I can guarantee you, raise your hand if you went through experiencing God. And it's okay if you were, did you learn something? Keep your hand up if you learned something. Good, if you didn't, you're not winsome. So, like we all learned something when we went through this process, right? So I'm willing to say we all grew in knowledge. I'm even willing to say we all grew in faith a little bit as we went through this series. But just having knowledge and faith alone, those things alone will not make you winsome. If you're not engaging the world in an active way, then knowledge and faith are just religion. And religion like that is not what God intended for his church. So listen to James. This is Jesus' half-brother, and it said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, we'll pray for you, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is, what's that last word? Dead. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by some sort of action, is dead. And so if there's not some winsome engaging of the world that's happening in us, then what we have in us is dead faith. We might have gained some knowledge. We might have gained some, some belief. But like the only analogy I can think of for that is, and I don't know why, is if you just have knowledge and a little belief and no action, what you've got is heroin in your veins. And the reason I think of heroin is because it's the most deadly drug I can think of. Heroin will kill you guys eventually. And, and if, if, that's, if we're a church that just has some belief and some knowledge and we don't have action, then it will eventually kill us. Might not kill us immediately, but over time, it will kill us. We will just sit around and talk about how much we know and what we believe. And if we're not out in the world, engaging the world in a winsome way, we will die. That's the death of the church. Christ is calling us to move and winsome knowledge. Knowledge that's accompanied with action, knowledge that's engaging, knowledge that's kind, knowledge that's empathetic. That is the breath of living water, man. It is so good. It's, it's like salt that makes things better. It's a city on a hill that can't be hidden. It is the light of the world for the world to see when the church is actually willing to live like Christ in the world. And that's what God is calling us to do. And guys, listen, I'm not... Um, 
I say I'm convicted about this, this body, and I should, I'm not, the ship isn't sinking. There's some amazing things going on here. We have made such progress in moving towards empathy and kindness and love. I mean, but even the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about his life, he says, I'm not yet there. And that should be the mindset we have. We're not yet there, but we're making some great steps. Even the garden. What you guys did with the garden this time about how in, in, in the days past we'd come in and eat together. And I love that. I think that's a great idea. I think there's a time for that. But this time, instead of coming in and, and serving each other food, y'all came together and prepared packages to go out and serve the world. Like that's a small shift, but it's a huge shift over time when we begin to understand you don't come here to be served. You come here to be prepared to serve. And so small shifts like that over time can make us even more winsome for the world. This Jesus thing, man, this, this journey is, is not easy. It's a journey where we're learning to become more like Christ. Can you turn that down just a little bit? It's feeding back a little bit in my head. I love the way Paul puts this in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. By the way, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, which means, you know, uh, people who are still living in the Old Testament, I became like one under the law, though I myself am no longer under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, that means non-Jews, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. So that I might win some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Gosh, I love this. Like, I, I, ho I hope you're hearing this. And go back to the beginning of that verse for me, if you don't mind, Ann. So when I, when I heard this verse and I was reading it this week, the Holy Spirit was kind of translating it into my life as far as areas where I need to grow. And so when I read this, the first thing it said, though I am free and belong to no one. So when I read that, you know what that translated to in my head? I can say whatever I want. That's how that translated. Now, none of y'all have ever thought that way. We're Americans. I can say whatever I want. Not only are we Americans, we're Southerners. We're double dangerous, right? We can, we can say whatever we want and we got guns. I mean, right? I mean, this is, this is our mindset. I can say whatever I want. And so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I can say whatever I want. I, 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 can, I can post whatever I want. I will say. And then God says, no, no, you don't own your tongue. I do. So yes, I can say whatever I want, but I will surrender my tongue to the king because now it belongs to him. So this verse, this part translates to me as, I might not always say what I'm thinking because what I'm thinking might not benefit the kingdom. Go on with the next one. To the Jews, I became like the Jews to win the Jews. All right, so that, that's Paul talking about people he loves. To the people I love, I hope that you and I will have a level of empathy where my love will lead you to Christ. And then he goes on to talk about people he doesn't know, people who aren't like him. I hope that people who aren't like me, that I'll learn to empathize with them. I hope that people who don't value my life, I will learn to value their lives. I hope that people who aren't kind to me, I will be kind to them. I hope people who don't vote like me, I will respect the way they vote. I hope people who don't feel like me, I will try to understand why they feel the way they feel. I will become all things to all people so that I might win some because my life does not belong to me. 
That's how this verse must translate in our minds. We must be able to empathize and understand and be kind. Not because we like what they think. This is our worry is, oh my gosh, if I'm kind to that person, they're going to think I agree with them. Who cares? Stop worrying about it. It's about loving God. I don't agree with you because I agree with you. I agree with you because I love Jesus Christ. And that's okay. And that's good. And that's righteous. We must learn to be winsome. And it's hard, man. I remember, yeah, why not? I remember when I was in uh, high school, I used to get in a lot of fights, okay? I know y'all, you're like, really? I used to get in a lot of, like private school. I went to a private, I got in private school fights. There was a lot of scratching and clawing and I, someone's cardigan would get ripped and our butlers would jump in. It was a whole thing, okay? Y'all get it, right? But like, <laughs> but like, I used to get in fights all the time. And this is what I would say to someone before I fought them. And I'm not kidding. I would say, we might fight and you're probably going to win, but you're going to remember me. <laughs> and in my mind, I thought this was scary. But like, that's what I would go into every fight or every situation with the mindset, you know, you're going to remember me. And I don't, they don't remember me, but like, that was my mindset. Right? And so the, I think too many of us are like, by the way, I never fought any public school people, so <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with y'all. I knew my role. But like, I, I, think, I think that somehow this, this you're going to remember me mindset has gotten stuck in our heads to where this is how we approach life. You're going to remember me. You're gonna, it's not about them remembering me. And if my legacy at the end of the day is no one knows my name, but my name speaks the name Christ, then my legacy is good. And if at my funeral, all you say is Jesus, I will be perfectly happy on the other side. I don't care if you remember me or not. I really haven't done anything that great. Now, Christ is doing some things through me, and my prayer is that you remember him. That one guy, I did that win that one fight. You remember that one kid? Yes, I did. I won it because you were there. <laughs> That's my brother, Bruce, by the way. He was stronger than me, but I was scrappy. <laughs> oh, man, we could tell some. Now's not the time. But so, <laughs> uh, so and this, this, this is the mentality that we have to take on, right? It's just, it's just not about us. It's about him. And this works so much better if we all work together. Oh, that rhymes. This works so much better if we all work together. Three or four people will not make this a winsome place. It's going to take everyone moving in the same direction to accomplish what we're trying to do. And that's why I love Jesus. I mean, this is so cool, by the way. I, I, do you all ever, in John 17, 23, I'm about to read it. Jesus is praying a prayer right before he dies, okay, right before he's crucified. And for some reason, he allows the prayer to be heard and then later written down. Like, can you imagine the prayer you would pray right before you die? How much of your heart would be in that? Especially if you knew it was going to be recorded and written down. And so John 17, 23, this is Jesus, and he's talking to God, and he says, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus is praying to God. He's talking to God, and he says, I, I want them to be united like we are united. And guys, we have seen this. This was easy for a time in our church. And listen, I'm not knocking anyone, so please don't hear this as an insult. Everyone has their reasons. But when corona was at its, at its, at its peak, there were still people here. And it was easy to have unity in that moment 
Because people who are in church when church is uncomfortable and difficult, those are typically people who are there for really, really winsome reasons. They're in it. And the people who were in here and with us when, when there was all these rules and all this stuff and it was super uncomfortable, those people, I didn't have to work to create unity in that space because we were all here for the same reasons. Now, when church begins to open up and people come back, it's much more difficult to create unity in a space of eight or 900 than it is two or 300. And everyone comes to church for their own reasons. That's just life. And so unity becomes more difficult to create. And so every time I start to think about unity and I start to think about, all right, God, I'm, we're all going to unite together. We're going to be one body moving in one direction. Every time I start to think about that, you know what I think about next? People. And I'm like, it's not going to be possible. It's just not going to be possible to have true unity because she's a Democrat. Everybody on that side of the room is going. <laughs> she's a Republican. So, I mean, how, they wear a mask and they don't. Like, how in the world am I going to be able to get these people united? And, and this person's just ornery. And like, so maybe what we should do, God, is put all the, all the angry people in one group so they don't taint all the other good groups. Let's just create, we, we've never done that, although we've considered it. I mean, it's hard, right? We start thinking about how are we going to create unity in a room like this with all these people and all their different emotions and all your different ideas and your different backgrounds and, and ain't none of us come from the same denomination. I don't even know if this is a denomination. I don't even know what we're doing. All these different backgrounds. How in the world are we going to create unity in this? And then I was reminded of something so incredibly beautiful. L listen to this prayer, John 17, 20. Let's start in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. What's the key there? What is Jesus not doing? He's not standing in front of a room full of people and saying, I want you to be united. He's praying to God and saying, God, unite them. We can't do it. We don't have it in us. Because no matter what you say, we've all got prejudice, and we've all got ideas, and we've all got things, we've all got this junk in our heads, and so we can't do it. That's why Jesus didn't ask us. He asked God. He said, unite them. And so what I'm asking you to do today is open up your heart and allow God to do what only he can do. Believe it's possible that you might be reconciled, united, even with that person. Like as we begin this summer of serve, and next week we're going we're gonna to kick it off, we're gonna, as we begin this, this thing that we're going to go out in the world and we are going to engage the world in a winsome way, that we might do it as one body and through our oneness, they might believe that we are one with him and that he so loved the world that he died to save it. And so this is what I'm gonna ask you to do today. And I love this and it's fun for me and we've done it before and y'all all nailed it. So here you go. Today, I'm gonna ask you to say yes. Just go ahead, say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. Next week, I'll ask the question. Let me pray.